Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, Christmas is almost here, and I'm sure you're preparing. And as you prepare for that time with your family, your friends, um, I want us to really take a a deeper look at Christmas today, and we're going to do that. But before we do that, I just want you to think about you and and your family and, and how you operate at Christmas. Because I don't know about you, but there are many people who embrace their own family traditions when it comes to Christmas. It's why people will meet me in the lobby afterwards and say, well, Phil, I know what Christmas is all about, just so you know. But, you know, for me, they'll say it's not really Christmas unless our entire family celebrates at my parents' house where we grew up. That makes it Christmas. Or it's not really Christmas unless we have eggnog and turkey dinner combined with my mom's homemade apple pie. If we don't have that, it's not Christmas. Or it's not Christmas unless we bring home a real tree. Not one of those fake pre-lit trees like Carol and I use in our home, uh, but a real tree, and we decorate it with our entire family, it's not really Christmas. So a lot of people have their own family traditions at Christmas, but there's also another form of tradition that creeps in at Christmas. It's called cultural tradition. And these things kind of sneak in over the years, and they become normative or sometimes expected by us. And these things are often very personal to us, and they don't really make sense sometimes. They're not really linked to Christmas in any conceivable way, but they somehow are important to us. And so people say, you know, it's not really Christmas for me unless I watch Elf, you know, or Rudolph or Christmas with the Cranks sometime before Christmas Eve. Or it's not really Christmas for me unless I go downtown Cincinnati to Fountain Square and go ice skating. I got to do that before it's Christmas or it's not really Christmas. So we have family tradition, we have cultural tradition, but that leads to a third category known as church tradition. And that's why for some people who say it's not really Christmas unless the Christmas Eve service ends with silent night. Don't worry, it will. It will. Uh, because a lot of people hold that one. It will. Um, we'll have a great time singing that. Or it's not really Christmas unless I hear the reading of Luke chapter 2. Beautiful chapter. We've been focusing on that the past couple weekends. Or people say it's not really Christmas unless they sing every Christmas hymn, including all the verses. I hear people say that sometimes, and I'll ask them, do you know how many verses there are to these Christmas hymns? And we were just celebrating the other night with someone. It was a beautiful time, and we sang all the verses. And um, I didn't realize there were so many verses to that particular hymn. Well, that brings us to another idea that creeps in for many you know, Christians at Christmas is they think that this is in the Bible when in reality it's just church tradition. What am I referring to? Well, there are some different things I could talk about, but today I want us to focus on a particular Christmas hymn that you've heard before, you've probably sung before. You know it. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Come on now. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright. 
Westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Beautiful song. We Three Kings. And it tells about the Magi who come to Jesus. They come from the east to bring their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In fact, if you look more closely at this hymn, you'll find that there is a verse assigned for each one of the three gifts. Now, before we unwrap this song, let's examine the scripture from which this song is birthed. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So suddenly we learn that in addition to these three kings, there's another king, King Herod. And truthfully, Herod was the kind of king that many people tried to completely avoid. He was ruthless, he was brutal, he'd stop at nothing to annihilate anyone that he thought would try to take over his throne. Herod, he ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., which places the birth of Christ somewhere around 5 B.C. And he's known for some incredible building projects, like the Masada, this huge palace fortress at the top of a mountain. We've been there. You have to take a cable car to get there, okay? Then there's the Temple Mount, and we see part of that when you look on TV sometimes, and people go to the Wailing Wall, and they'll pray, and they'll put their little messages or prayers in the wall. That's part of what Herod had built. But he's also known for some huge crimes against humanity. In the last years of his life, while suffering from disease and paranoia, he killed some of his closest associates, along with his own wife, Miriam, as well as two of his sons. In fact, Herod actually issued an order shortly before he died, listen to this, that issued that after he died, all the most important and most popular men throughout that region would be killed. He wanted that to happen so that there would be mourning throughout the land. He knew that no one would mourn for him, so he wanted to borrow someone else's mourning for himself. The order was never carried out. Well, as we unwrap Christmas here today, I think the first lesson, not the most important lesson, but one of the first lessons is that the men who came to visit Herod, these three kings in this song, weren't really kings. They were either astrologers or philosophers or a combination of both. We know this for different reasons. For example, the word for magi in the original language means this, a name given by the Babylonians to wise men, priests, astrologers, or physicians. These would be helpful people, wise people, but they were not kings. After all, think about this. Every king who has ever lived is concerned about increasing their own power. You don't find a king partnering with a few other kings, traveling a few hundred miles to, tr to visit a maniacal king in search of a newborn king. Kings, back then, they would not likely even travel very far from their own castle or their own throne, because if they did, they were always afraid that their throne wouldn't be there for them when they got home. Somebody else would take over, and so they would reside there most often. So these wise men then come to Herod in search of this new king. And in verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Well, the beginning here of these verses tells us that Herod then, he, he was disturbed. Another way to say this is that Herod was greatly troubled. Matthew 2 also tells us that in response, everyone else was greatly troubled as well. Don't misunderstand the passage here. It's not intending for us to think that, you know, the people felt badly for the king. You know, they're practicing empathy towards the king. You know, or they wanted to share in his troubles. Not at all. They were disturbed because they knew that in response to Herod's internal disturbance, their external world was about ready to change. There would be fear, divisiveness, bloodshed, and death. Because in Herod's pursuit of this king, they might likely be the people he'd be willing to trample over. But before he did any of that, Herod gathered the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and asked for their insight regarding the birth of this king. And what he learned from these lukewarm theologians was that Scripture had long predicted the birth of this child. In fact, Scripture had predicted where the child would be born, in Bethlehem. Well, that was convenient for Herod because Bethlehem was just a short horse ride away. What wasn't convenient for Herod was what Scripture stated regarding what this king would do. He would lead the Jewish people. And this was not convenient for Herod because that was his job. He loved to domineer over the Jewish people. But let's pause here for a moment. I want us to unwrap Christmas just a little bit here, because while there's only a few verses that relate to this encounter, there's, I think, a, a very important application for everyone here. And I don't know if you noticed it or not. Do you remember the players so far and their responses? Herod is hostile. He is hostile to the birth of Christ. The religious leaders, they are indifferent. They know that it's coming, but they don't really care. The wise men desire to worship. You see, if we take a closer look at ourselves, we'll quickly really see that not much has changed over the course of the past 2,000 years. Every single time Christmas rolls around, we see at least three reactions to the birth of Christ. Hostility, that's growing even more in our culture. Indifference, don't really care. Or worship. Three responses. What's yours, Ben? What's it been? Well, the next thing we see this is that Herod desires to take this investigation even further. And in verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And I'm sure you noticed this already, but I'm just going to state the obvious. Herod now He's a poser. He's a hypocrite. Because he has no desire to worship any king, yet alone this king who came to change the world. Herod was concerned about his world, his name, his fame, his domination. And that's why we see Herod's true heart show up about eight verses later. When scripture tells us that he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, and in its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And this should cause us to pause again. Because perhaps there are actually more than three responses to Christ at Christmas. Perhaps there's four. Hostility, indifference, 
worship and hypocrisy. Herod's hypocrisy is on full display when he says, you know, I want to go worship this king, when in reality, all he wanted to do was retain his own throne. Do you fall into that category? You say, oh yeah, Jesus, he is my savior. He is my savior. I'm thankful for what he has forgiven me from, that I'm a child of God. He is my savior. But when it comes to your day-to-day living, you are Lord. You are on that throne, you've got the wheel in your hands, and you are making decisions for your life. So thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me, but I've got the wheel. I've got this. That's a Herod mentality, a hypocrite that says that Jesus can just be Savior and not also be Lord of my life. He says he's both. He's to be both in our lives. Well, now that Herod's asked the wise men to find this king and report back to him, now now these these magi, right, they they have their chance now to, to determine their own response. And the text tells us that after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now as we unwrap this Christmas story just a little bit more, it's important to realize there are at least uh, several clues here in the verses that I just read. First, gold. Gold. That is a precious metal for a king, a very expensive metal reserved for a king. Frankincense was an incense used by priests in the anointing process. Myrrh was also expensive, and it was a fragrance used in burials. So a theological significance here, because when you combine them all together, they foreshadow a king who was born to offer his life as the priestly sacrifice for our sins. That's exactly what Jesus did. And it leads also to something that's not quite as important, a numerical significance. Because while three gifts are listed, Scripture doesn't tell us how many magi actually came to worship Christ. There could have been three, there could have been four, there could have been 40. And this leads to a practical significance. And many times we bypass this in the reading of the text. But these gifts, they made Mary and Joseph instantly well off. I mean, this newfound wealth may have helped them on their upcoming trip to Egypt. We don't really know. But gold and myrrh especially, that was worth a lot of money. And it points also to a timing significance. Combined with another clue from the verses I just read, these gifts signify the timing of the wise men's visit. Let's start with verse 11. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped. Now, tradition tells us, and we know this, right, that tradition says that Jesus was born in a stable, in a barn, or in a cave. None of those are a house. And yet, it doesn't necessarily mean that the wise men showed up later. We're going to talk more about this Christmas Eve. We're going to unwrap the Christmas story just a little bit more, and you're going to come to see how important a house actually is in the Christmas story. 
I think it'll unpack some things for you that you've never seen before. So what clues then lead us to believe that some time had passed before the wise men brought Jesus their gifts? Well, if you remember, we read this verse, verse 16. Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under in accordance, here's the key phrase, with the time he had learned from the Magi. So these Magi, these wise men, they had seen the star, but they had a long distance to travel from the time they left to the time they got there. And so Herod hears this, and he wants to make sure he's got all his bases covered. So he doesn't just want to kill those who are newborn children. He wants to kill those who are two years old and younger because some time had passed, and he did not want to miss that child. But yet another clue can be found. As we move from Matthew chapter 2 to a short visit in Luke chapter 2. Because it's here in Luke 2 where Jesus is presented in the temple to be dedicated after Mary's purification. Now from a Jewish perspective, this always meant that this anointing would take place 40 days after Christ's birth. 40 days. Now every mother who would come to the temple to present uh, their child would offer one of two possible offerings. One, if the mother was a person of means, if she had wealth, she would offer a one-year-old lamb. If the mother was very poor, though, she would offer two pigeons or two turtle doves. What does Mary offer? A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Mary offered the lesser offering because she didn't have the money to buy a lamb. If the wise men had come to visit Jesus just after he was born, Mary would have had enough money to buy not only a lamb for herself, but for several of her friends. After all, there's a great amount of wealth associated with the gifts of gold and myrrh especially. And then as we move back to Matthew chapter 2, what did we discover? We discovered that this angel then appears to Joseph in this dream, warning him to leave right away because Herod is jealous. He's filled, filled with rage. Jesus' life is in danger. And so what does the Bible say? Joseph, he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So now that our time of unwrapping is over, let's take a closer look at our hearts. Christmas is here, friends. Jesus has come. He came in human flesh to ultimately die in our place on the cross, to take our sins upon himself in order to remove that barrier that stood between us and God. So when Jesus came at Christmas, the gift he offered us was himself. That he would take our place. How have you responded to Christ's gift? Really? Have you been responding with hostility? Are you currently wrestling with God? You're wrestling with him. Maybe you're just wondering about him. Maybe you say, I know there's a God, but I don't, I don't know that I believe everything about him. Or like we just kind of sang earlier, maybe you have hostility towards God this Christmas because you had an idea of how he was supposed to show up and he showed up differently and now you're bitter, you're angry, you're hostile with God. Is that you? Or perhaps you've responded to Christ's gift to Christmas with indifference. Uh, yeah, you know the story. You've read the verses. Jesus came at Christmas. He was born as a baby in Bethlehem. And for you, that's great. 
but it hasn't really changed anything, if you're honest. Or perhaps you've responded to Christ's gift with hypocrisy. Oh, really thankful that he's your savior, that you're all set, you're going to heaven because you prayed that prayer. That's what's true in your mind anyway, right? But the rest of the, your life, you've got the wheel, you've got the throne, and you're not really leaving any room for him. You make your plans, and you ask God to bless them. Or are you responding with worship? You say, I'm a child of God. I, I, my sins have been forgiven. I am following Jesus and I worship him with my life. Where are you in all of that? Because while the first three responses are really, really popular, they all serve to, they really bind a person in some way. For example, there's little joy in the wrestle. Have you ever wrestled with something in your life? Do you have a lot of joy during all that time of wrestling? There's little love when you're standing apart from the very God who made you and loves you. Little love. And there's little peace when living inconsistently. When you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but in reality, you're, you're kind of just wanting his blessing, and then you're just doing what you want. And that inconsistency over time, you know what's going on, even though you wear the mask and you want people to think I'm a good Christian, the inconsistency is robbing you. There's little peace. But there's great freedom, friends, when coming to Jesus with a heart of worship. In fact, the first act of worship is to say, you are God, I am not. Please forgive me. I long to receive your gift of grace in my life. You see, I think what this story tells us is this, that my response to Jesus determines my freedom. My response to Jesus determines my freedom or my level of freedom, freedom from wrestling, Freedom from independence, freedom from hypocrisy, and freedom from sin. See, Jesus came in such a humble way, such a gentle way. And that's because God is a gentleman. He's not going to force his love for you upon you. His love is a gift that he offers to you. Will you embrace it? Will you embrace it? Will you respond with a true heart of worship? If you close your eyes right now, I'd like you to just maybe approach God right now. And if for you, you're responding to Christ's gift at Christmas with hostility, you might say to him, God, you know I'm angry right now. I'm bitter right now. I've got questions and I don't seem to have the answers I'm looking for. Then you might say, but God, help me to trust you. Because you are God. I'm not. And help me to know that even when I don't see you working in the ways that I want you to work, you're working. And for those here today and those online who would say, oh, Jesus, I'm responding to your gift with indifference. Yeah, you know, I know what you've done. I know how you came. But in truth, it really isn't impacting my life. I know it in my head, but my heart, oh, it's far really from you. Lord, forgive me. 
Help me to make you central. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And for those who would say, you know, I'm responding to Christ's gift of Christmas with hypocrisy. Yeah, that's me. I kind of just focus on my forgiveness and then I just kind of go. I do what I want. You say, oh Lord, that's me. Lord, right now I want you to be my Savior and my I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to submit to you on your throne. I no longer want you to submit to me on mine. Forgive me, Lord. And then there's those who would say, I'm responding to the gift of Christ at Christmas with worship. And you say, oh Lord, thank you. Your love overwhelms me. You are so incredibly good. Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you that I know that you are my savior, my Lord, my leader, my hope, my strength, my joy, my peace. You are my everything. That's why I worship you. Because once, yes, I was a sinner. But because of you now, I weep no more. I worship you with my life. Friend, wherever you are, whoever you are, let's worship him right now. you please stand children weep no more hope is on the horizon weary world behold your promise Messiah
If you're struggling here today, I mentioned some of the areas earlier that you might be struggling with in your life. Maybe it's something physical, something spiritual, emotional. Afterwards, we have prayer partners that will be here right up front. Please come. They want to join with you, pray with you. And for everyone else, before you exit these doors, remember that outside these walls, there is a world that is celebrating in some way, and they celebrate happy holidays. Some would even say Merry Christmas, but remember who you are. You are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And Christmas isn't about decorations. It's about declaration. So be the hands and feet of Jesus where you go. So friends, this Christmas, as you go, may you be filled with the wonder of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the magi, and may the almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you now and as you go and forevermore. Amen. See you Christmas Eve. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.